0: Today on Agnews Daily. I just don't think that's gonna be something that's going to be impacting the market.
1: Listeners, welcome back to this Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, April twenty-fourth, two thousand and twenty-three. Here to bring you some of the latest headlines and a really good look at what markets have wrapped up with today. How's Delaney doing?
2: I'm good, Tanner. Did you have to go outside for any children's sports over the weekend?
1: Yeah, our weekend got all screwed up. Uh, We postponed games from Friday night and Saturday morning to Sunday afternoon. So everything just got shifted around. Everything we were going to do on Sunday, we did Saturday and uh, spent a lot of day at the Diamonds Sunday afternoon. How about you?
2: I didn't spend a ton of time outside. It was not a pleasant one.
1: Not a pleasant weekend or time outside?
2: (laughs) Not not a pleasant time outside.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it doesn't look like we're going to see a ton of warm up this week. Going to definitely feel more like the beginning of April rather than the end of April, but uh We've had a little bit of sign of spring on its way. Of course, we're seeing a ton of snowmelt. That's the biggest worry right now. It seems like flood warnings, uh, especially along the Mississippi River. We're uh, looking here at the snowmelt moving through uh, probably around the Davenport, Iowa area. Our forecasted river level is looking to be 20 feet That now puts it well into the major flood stage and will be just shy of the all-time record. Uh, Other areas like the Chippewa River near Wisconsin uh, has seen additional rain and snow, as we've talked about it up there, uh, additional rains in the forecast. So it looks like probably this week we're going to do a lot more talking about flooding.
2: Absolutely, and that's a conversation we're going to continue to have this week, working on securing an interview with some folks up in the Dakotas to talk about just how dire things look up there, because we really are starting to hear echoings of 2019 Tanner from a flooding perspective, but I think also from a planting perspective, and I think that has a lot of farmers spooked, thinking that although it's colder and wetter than ideal planting conditions, Guys are nervous about getting a crop into the ground when you look at 2019 levels, but you hit on something Tanner there that I want to dig into a little bit more. And that was the Mississippi river levels as you mentioned there, things are looking really high and that's going to impact barge traffic. We saw this winter in Duluth, Minnesota, Tanner, a record breaking 139 inches of snow. Twin Cities saw about 90 inches of snow. And in total, these two areas are causing some flooding along the Mississippi River at St. Paul, and that's likely going to continue uh, southward. According to the American commercial barge line, the upper Mississippi starting at Meekers near Hastings, Minnesota, is currently closed for barge traffic. By April 23rd, all locks starting at Lock 17 up through Lock 3 will be closed due to flooded levels. And we're expecting to see that remain the suit here as we've seen a lot of late winter, late season snowfall occurring in the Dakotas. But despite Those wintry conditions, Tanner, South Dakota farmers are continuing to still face abnormally dry and moderate drought conditions across the state. Since this time last year, D3 extreme drought has been nearly erased from the South Dakota map. D2 severe drought has plummeted. And so we're still seeing lesser drought, but currently D1 moderate drought conditions span about 20% of the state. And abnormally dry conditions persist and encompass about 68% of the state. So only about 11% of the state is free from moisture stress. The top northeast corner of the state really is the only one spared here. Otherwise, even with that snowfall, we've been seeing not getting a lot of reprieve for South Dakota farmers.
1: Yeah, that's quite interesting. And as you talk about acres that might not get planted, uh, the USDA's ERS report came out and stated that their total number of U.S. farms has decreased. They reported that there were 9,350 less farms in 2022 versus 2021. But these acres getting planted is even more valuable because as you look at the total acres of farmland, the 2022 Number is 893,400,000. That was a decrease of nearly 2 million acres, 1.9, according to their estimate. And uh, that's not good if we're trying to continue to look at boosted production goals. Obviously, we know a combination of that land has either been put into fallow operations, developed for commercial use, or is no longer in production. But Delaney, it's kind of interesting here that this same report noted that over 40% of the farms have sales more than 500,000. The average farm size in 2022 was 446 acres. And uh, the interesting part is 41%, like I said, uh, have sales over half a million. Delaney, nearly 51% had sales less than $10,000. So it's quite an interesting... Contrast there, that there are a large portion of uh, the farm operation and farm economy that has farm sales over half a million, but still over half of the farms, as classified in the USDA's ERS report, says that the sales are less than $10,000. Obviously, those are very small operations, but certainly, nonetheless, some very interesting data to share with our listeners.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that, Tanner, because when I was in D.C. last week, the upcoming census of agriculture is top of mind for the usda right now and i know a lot of farmers i know a lot of farmers a lot of farmers center that do not like to fill out those census data forms what about you
1: yeah and it makes you wonder too if that ten thousand dollar in gross revenues, is just uh, surveys getting filled out as far as uh, someone putting a number in a blank, or if that's actually the case, because that's an awful lot of small farms if you're talking 10,000 and less in total ag sales.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the other part of that question mark in my mind is people probably have their own opinions about what the USDA does with that data. They, of course, reassured us last week in DC, they're just using this for internal purposes. It's not getting publicly released. Each individual answer, each person's answer, they're you know compiling the data, anonymizing it, and then publishing it as a whole aggregate. But I'm curious how data like this gets really impacted uh, when it comes to things like the farm bill, crop insurance subsidy dollars or, you know, master or uh, market facilitation payment programs or relief programs, if producers aren't answering it truthfully, are they able to do their job when it comes to those additional payments or farm bill actions?
1: Yeah, that's a good point, because they can only make decisions off of the data that they have. Uh, And obviously, that becomes very difficult on That side of things, Uh, I'll jump right into my next headline, just a real quick hitter here as we try to hit the uh, cattle on feed report. When that comes out, it looks like according to the data that came out, our cattle volumes traded a little bit higher than one hundred and eighty dollars per hundred weight live to eighty eight dress. That was two dollars less than the week in the past uh, the past week previously uh, cattle in the south were pretty steady rather than those in the rest of the country feeder cattle traded mixed to lower which uh, was interesting and the first time that that had happened in a significant period of time however when you look at the boxed beef prices delaney those were up three dollars and 98 cents per the week to week comparison a little over 306 dollars per 100 weight. Uh, which makes packers' margins a little bit more favorable. Obviously, had a couple of uh, tight weeks there, as we had reported. The cattle on feed report counted 4.4% down from the year ago to 11.6 million on feed. Uh, The placements during March were just shy of 2 million head. That's 1% below last year. So signs here, as uh, we'll talk more when we get to the market analysis side of things of this episode as to what this might mean for where cattle market markets are ahead but uh the cost of feed report was a little bit disappointed they expected feed costs to go down uh and they were off six tenths of a percent there so pretty close on those projections but uh, cattle market seems to still be bullish but I'm curious to hear what we learned the second half of our conversation today
2: Another thing that might be impacting the markets today, some fresh fodder for the Russia-Ukraine situation. Got a couple of quick, big headlines here, the first of which is the G7 summit is going on right now, which is seven countries consisting of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK and the United States meeting this week to talk about what needs to happen to fix the issues going on in the black sea region as we're continuing to see fresh news of new defenses i guess we could say going on in ukraine but the g7 ministers from each of these seven countries said on sunday that an expansion of ukrainian grain shipments via the black sea corridor really need to happen and need to happen soon They said that they were ready, these seven countries were ready to aid the reconstruction of the Ukrainian agricultural facilities damaged by the war. But at the end of the two-day meeting, they said that a challenging global food and nutrition situation is looming. And we're probably currently there, Tanner. We also saw here over the weekend, Ukraine forces reportedly established a foothold on the east side of the Dinpro River Near Kherson in recent days, which is triggering some speculation that they're in a position to start the long anticipated spring counter offensive as they head into potentially another ramp up here in uh, warfare, Tanner.
1: Yeah, those were some interesting headlines to try and get a little perspective on what's going over there. Obviously, uh, Ukraine has gone very quiet in those offensives. Mm-hmm. Uh, movements. Of course, we talked about the leaked information from the Pentagon on the U.S. side that might have put some of this at a little bit more of a vulnerable tax. But uh, we'll continue to watch that. More Russian news. The CNH Industrial has now sold their Russian interests. So coming out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, press release, CNH was among many of the Western companies that fled and uh, produced exit strategies for the Russia-based business. They initially started off by uh, cutting off shipments to that area, but as of March 2022, they started off with that suspending of all shipments and stated that they would provide donation and support to nearly 38 Ukraine-based employees and families, as well as organizations that will help provide that, but they've finalized their exit here 14 months later. They've announced the finalization of a $60 million sale and divesture of their operations there. The companies such as Case, IH, and New Holland reported about $380 million in business through Russia in 2021, which accounts for about 2% of the company's total revenue that year. Uh, In a press release, they stated here they wish to acknowledge their former employees for their years of dedicated service and hope to provide them additional support in the future, but uh, Case IH is the first to have done this. Of course, uh, just a reminder to our listeners, Delaney, when Case was the first to stop and suspend shipments, John Deere and Agco quickly followed, so I wonder what this headline will do as uh, they have divested their interests in Russia if other major ag manufacturers will follow suit
2: i i saw that story and was wondering the same thing tanner but let's see switching over here to south america Getting some fresh headlines that Argentina could have the smallest crop in 25 years as they're dealing with a historic drought that severely cut the size of their Argentinian soybean crop. The Buenos Aires Grain Exchange is now pegging corn production at 36 million tons and lowered the soybean crop estimate another 1.5 million tons to 22.5 million metric tons in total. This cut is now scaring processors, Tanner, as well. A few processors were quoted in the article I read this morning on AgWeb and suggested they're going to have to cut their production by 50% as they're considering where seeding will be and where production will be. They're nervous that soy production, not only processing, but when you look at things like bio Diesel, biofuels, of course, using soy, soy meal, and soy processing—all of those things—they're saying are going to be drastically cut here this year. Or Argentina is going to have to look outside their borders to continue to follow the pace that they've set for years prior. Argentina in 2022, I believe, crushed about 60 million tons of soybean. So they're going to be there's going to be a big gap that they're going to be trying to fill with exports, or excuse me, with imports, or be potentially scaling down on their soy processing this year. Could be a big market changer, Tanner.
1: Yeah, it uh, certainly could. But I'll tell you what, that's about what I've got for news headlines here. I thought about diving deeper into a volcano in Russia erupting. But as far as that goes, it doesn't seem to be providing any impacts to military advances or the ag sector, there. So, just a little headline if you want to dive deeper into that, you can look it up. But that's what I've got. Delaney, how did markets close out today?
2: Markets today, Tanner, looked pretty ugly for this Monday trading session, especially in the soybean pits. May, old crop corn today closed 13 and a half cents lower at 649 and three quarters. New crop corn finished. A quarter of a cent lower on the day at 547 and three quarters. As we take a look at the soybean pits today, again major weakness here on this Monday afternoon. We're going to get Sean Hackett's take on that coming up here in just a moment for our market Monday segment. May soybeans down 19 and a cent to close at 14.64 and a half. Nov new crop beans shed eight cents today to close at 12.76 and three quarters. In the May hard red winter wheat contract today, down seven and a quarter cent at 8.33 and a half. As we take a look here over at livestock market. Today, they also finished mostly in the red in the cattle contract and actually in the green here for the lean hog market, which I know our lean hog producers could certainly use a little pop here. June live cattle today added just two cents at a buck sixty four fifty five. May feeders down a dollar sixty five to close at two ten seventy-five, and mailing Hawks added sixty-seven and a half cents to close at seventy-seven seventy. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Sean Hackett. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today markets with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, thanks so much for joining us again today.
0: Glad to be here, Delaney, as always.
2: Sean, I feel like we have to start in the soybean markets today. Ugly day for soybeans. What is going on there?
0: I, I just think what's starting to happen as the Brazilian harvest is reaching its endpoint and the Massive supplies are starting to back up. We're hearing about storage shortages in Brazil. And now this kind of disjointed planting season is going to be likely pushing more soybean acres into the ground. And on top of it, we have really no idea what the EPA's mandates are going to look like when they come out with their final uh, decision here in June, which is really important to what the crush might look like and what's really going to be the demand for soybeans and bean oil and renewable diesel. So with all these uncertainties and with the speculator really still kind of on the long side of the market, they've just decided it's time for them to look elsewhere.
1: So yeah. And when they look elsewhere, it doesn't seem like corn was the answer for elsewhere today either.
0: No, we're really in just in a grain market downswing um, overall. Um, Of course, today, obviously, soybeans getting it uh, worse on the chin. But for the most part, we've had high prices in grains for a while. Demand destruction has occurred. And we're just not, you know, the safrina corn crop in Brazil so far looks fantastic. The rains are coming in for the next two weeks at a critical moment. So it's just nothing that's exciting the speculators in the grain markets right now. And so they've decided, you know, once they've decided to hit that sell button, they tend to keep going for a while um, until they've gotten themselves, you know, into a more bearish position, and we're obviously you know not quite there yet,
2: Sean, we also continue to report on headlines here of the Argentinian crop, both corn and soybeans continuing to come down in size. Just read some fresh news today that suggested Argentina is going to really have to scale back or potentially look at importing more soy to just continue with their current pace for soy processing. Has the market factored that in yet?
0: I pretty much think that they have. I mean, I think the market has already decided that that's what the crop is going to be, and that's what the supplies are going to be, and we've traded that for many, many months, and we've just we're now moving on, you know, as the market always does with uh, crop problems, that we move on to something else. I just don't think that's going to be something that's going to be impacting the market, unless, you know, it looks like U.S. soybean production later on in the growing season, you know, might come up short. Then those shortages in Argentina could be very powerful. Bullish factor, but not right now when everyone is, is thinking, you know, huge crop in the US.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're talking huge crop in the US, but we're also maybe getting some news out of China that uh, there might be some more information out there that producers don't fully understand. Why would they be canceling an order this morning? And are there more cancellations to come?
0: Well, African swine fever, they've had, they're going through an around three, we're calling it, of a very significant problem. Uh, estimates are that 10, 15%, it could ultimately be 20% of the hog herd is being liquidated or has been liquidated because of it. And, you know, you thin out all those animals, then you just don't need the bean meal. You don't feed, you don't need the corn feed. You might, you know, you're going to need it at a later date, but you just don't need it today. And I think that's what some of the signs we're getting out of China right now is they're saying we don't need it right now. And so unless we get worried that U.S. weather is going to be a problem, It looks like we have no reason to push the panic button with Brazil looking awfully good right now.
2: Sean, how much of the market has factored in what's going on in the Dakotas? You know, we continue to hit on headlines of more snow, more drought, but likely lots of flooding this spring season and potentially some prevent plant acres. What are you thinking right now we see as far as acres go uh, up there in the Dakotas?
0: I think the market has uh, gotten uh, understanding of the idea that regardless of what happens to the Northern Plains, if the rest of the key grain belt does well, you're going to have a decent crop. Um, You know, two years ago, we had the historic drought. We still had a decent crop overall. So I think it's really mainly an issue for spring wheat because that, you know, that's where the Red River flooding is. That's where the snow is in the Canadian prairies. I think if I was looking for, the catalyst that could independently impact the market, um, I think the spring wheat market, that's the story for spring wheat. I just don't see the corn and soybean market getting excited about that so long as, you know, the core grain belts doing OK where, you know, it's anticipated they're going to do OK.
1: We had reported on here in our conversation prior to this discussion about the Catalan feed report from Friday. What do you see technically coming out of the analysis from that report and how that's been uh, received in today's market?
0: Well, it was the first report that, you know, was, uh, was not bullish in a while. I mean, it was a, you know, certainly on the uh, placements. It was, a, it was a big miss. Now one report doesn't make a market, but it was the first time that the, that we've had to kind of, you know, kind of address it. Maybe, you know, maybe the market isn't quite as bullish as rec- as near record highs in the August contract are suggesting, um, and speculators are heavily long and heavily vulnerable. I mean, it seems like the speculators have decided to blow out of almost every other market sooner or later, and and they've held on um, in doing so in the cattle market. And quite frankly, the cattle market you know hung in there pretty well today. Some of the talk had been that you know we would see them a down and and you know something more sinister and we just, you know, we didn't see that kind of selling, so it says to me, this was not, you know, the end all be all to the market, but it's a warning flag that if we get two, you know, more reports like this, or we get more factors that tell us that maybe the fundamentals or the setup is not as bullish as we think, you know, the the, the, the cattle market could be getting in jeopardy for a its first major decline in quite some time. I would say for today's action, it's saying not quite yet. We still want to be bullish.
2: So Sean, with that being said, I mean, both feeder cattle and live cattle have been continuing to push higher here. Today's market uh, obviously was a reflection of Friday's cattle on feed report, like you suggested there, but August feeders, August live cattle, how much higher do we have here to grow?
0: It really, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Delaney, it comes down to how long can the packers make good profits, right? As long as I can good profits by higher cattle, they're going to do it. And the, you know, the cutout prices keep going up and it, it it doesn't seem yet that we're getting enough pullback on demand for beef to allow them not to make a good margin. So, uh, you know, I have to admit, you know, I've been somewhat surprised that we haven't seen a consumer pullback. They seem to be pulling back in just about everything else. And I continue to believe that they we're going to have that weak, where the bottom falls out on cash prices in cutouts. And we see that final, uh, you know, pulling away of consumer demand that probably sets the high, but we just haven't quite gotten here. So the answer, you know, I've heard 300, you know, for the beef price, you know, might do it. It's all speculation, but I don't think we're that far away, Delaney, from that happening. I just don't think you can go through this kind of a slowdown in the economy. And, Probably getting worse without eventually seeing beef demand come under pressure.
1: So, as we sit here at the beginning of the week and our listeners are kind of thinking all things ag, what are some other headlines that we missed that we should pay attention to? Well, I think uh, one of the bigger
0: uh, headlines or, or misconceptions is there's a strong belief, and it feeds into the bearish trade in grains, that because La Nina has ended, we are immediately going to go into a cool, wet El Nino pattern. That means record yields, record crops, huge ending stocks. And, you know, and that means grain prices are going substantially lower into the fall. That's the pretty common mantra right now. And, and, and the history is not supportive of that view, meaning that when you look at transitionary years from a strong La Nina to an El Nino, it's not the transition year that you get that kind of El Nino, whether you don't turn the switch on like that. Um, in fact, it's actually a drought cycle. Um, we have a cold, what's called a cold Pacific Decadal Oscillation um, off the coast of California, which just means very, very cold sea surface temperatures. That is a La Nina signature. So what we have is we have a La Nina that has dissipated in the Central Pacific sea surface temperatures, but we have a PDO still very, very cold. Two times that has happened since 1950. And both of those years, we had a drought return to the Midwest, especially the central eastern grain belt, which, as you know, the last couple of years, that region has missed uh, the drought that has engulfed the West and the Northern Plains and the Southern Plains. In fact, the last time that area got a drought was in 2012, which is a very good analog, I think, to this year, where we had high prices coming down hard in the spring. Everybody, you know, good conditions, good subsoil moisture, and then we put, we turned the drought on in June and July, and, you know, the, the rest is history. So I, I think there's a big mistake people are making on the weather, and I would be, if I'm a livestock producer, I would be very much looking for an opportunity to lock in physical feed uh, here in May, that's when the 2012 market bottomed out. And I suspect that's when we might price in all the bearish news that the market is currently worried about.
2: Fantastic, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we let you go, if any of our listeners would like to pick your brain a little bit more or chat with you about markets, how can they find you?
0: Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have Twitter at Faradix 11. You can always check us out also on our LinkedIn page as well.
2: Fantastic, Sean. Thank you so much for joining.
0: Thanks, Delaney. Really appreciate it. Always a
1: blast. As always, Delaney, I feel like these Market Monday editions provide me an educational opportunity, so I hope our listeners feel the same. If you've got a favorite analyst that you want us to talk to one of these Mondays, don't be afraid to share that with us, Delaney, but I'm excited for the rest of the week. So our listeners shouldn't go anywhere, should they?
2: No, they shouldn't. We've got a lot of great conversations coming to our listeners later this week, Tanner, but with that, should we let the people go?
1: Let's let them go.